The Bizix Podcast is a production of Bizix LLC, all rights reserved. Please join us at www.bizix.com for additional resources to make your business strong, growing, and profitable. We have it down to a science. My friend Marcus Mendenhall had been a gift to me. Not only had it been great catching up with him personally, I cannot imagine a better person to give me the science of momentum in the most understandable terms possible. Understanding the science and gaining agreement with Marcus that the principles held true in business and organizations were two entirely different things. I believe that I had piqued Marcus's curiosity to some degree, but he was not ready to wade in as a motivational speaker. Before I dove into the business world, I wanted to tap into a practical application of momentum to make sure I understood the technical information Marcus had shared with me. I wanted something tactile and accessible that would leave an indelible image. I thought of engineers and tradespeople who lived in the world of physics every day. It still seemed too complicated. I needed something as nearly universally understood as possible. I turned to my friend, Trey Holt. Trey is one of the most interesting people I have ever met. Professionally, he is a gifted counselor and healer, owner of an 11-person therapy practice in Franklin, Tennessee. He has compassion, depth, and wisdom, all things you would hope for in a counselor. He is an author and music lover, easily riled by the commercialization of art. Some people follow the megastars like Taylor Swift, Beyonce, or Garth Brooks. Trey chooses Towns Van Zandt, Bill Morrissey, John Hyatt, and Lucinda Williams. I have cherished the moments when Trey dials up his Spotify account and shares something of great meaning and significance to him, a world of performers I never knew. There are few things finer than friends sharing what they love. Yet there is an edginess to Trey that is uncommon in the counseling world. He is wrapped in body art, chronicling his loves and cherished moments. His language can be salty at times, and he does not back down from a challenge. Some might use the word street fighter, If I were in a street fight, I would certainly want Trey on my side. Beyond things seen and heard, the most noticeable edginess with Trey is his burning desire to be the very best at what he does. He wants to stand apart from the pack in the best of ways. When Trey was 13 years old, he won the World Skeet Shooting Championship. He was literally the best in the world, documented. He went on to earn a black belt in martial arts. Most people would never know these things about Trey. I am quite sure he does not care if anyone knows about them, but what I wanted to talk to him about was his bowling career. For me, bowling is the perfect momentum sport. So many of the things that Marcus had shared with me are on display at the bowling alley. Speed, direction, mass, friction, obstacles, a finite distance. It is a sport that seems so simple, but one that I have never mastered. In passing one day, Trey mentioned to me that he had bowled a perfect game. That made him unique in my life. I had never known anyone personally who had achieved that. I hoped that Trey could give me a little applied lesson in momentum for personal experience. He did, and much more. A look at a culture and lifestyle that hardly exists anymore, if at all. Let me introduce you to my good friend, Trey Holt. The first one that I remember, I think I bowled before this, but I was, I was 13 or 14, 
No, I would have had to have been 15. And I, the reason I know that is because my parents were separated. And my crazy aunt, who's my mama's sister, they're all dead now, but <laughs> came with her adopted son and her husband and went with me and my daddy to Tuscum Lanes to bowl. Tuscum? Tuscum. It's one of the ones that's still there. It's not a real, you know, I've told not a real bowling alley. <laughs> I don't know if there's such a thing. I really don't. But it, it's a, you know, entertainment center now or something. But uh, in the course, I guess, of that night, of those events, my cousin, who ended up, seriously, getting 29 felony counts for growing mushrooms <laughs> in my grandmother's house after she died, dropped a bowling ball on his foot. And he quit bowling. He wouldn't bowl. And then his aunt and my dad were prone to be, uh, they, they loved it. I guess they loved each other, but she was my mom's sister. Okay. Know, so they were, they were in the middle of a divorce. And they could just like, you know, it could go from zero to 100. And she said, so she got pissed and left. That's what I remember. And so I can remember my dad sitting keeping score for me. Tuscan. He probably bowled six or seven games. I mean, I had. I think like, she got mad at three. And so my dad, you know, was probably just drinking beer, keeping score. And he knew how to keep <laughs> We had bowled enough. He knew how to keep score. Back when you had to keep your score. Right. I remember, I, and I still got it. I got it at home, the score sheet, that I started striking. And I think I may have had my own ball by that point. I cannot remember. At 15? Yeah, it would have been 15. I think I might have had a Brunswick, 14-pound Brunswick Brown. I can't remember what they would have been called. But I do remember I threw like six strikes in a row. Not sure. I think the game was 238. And I also think it was the first 200 game I ever shot. I don't remember. I mean, you know, but I do remember doing I still got the sheet. So that's kind of where it started. And it came off the heels of all the skeet shooting stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and I've just always had to have some kind of competitive something. Right. And so that was... So when you got the you got the six strikes and you saw the 238, do you mm -hmm. feel like you needed to double down, go it was, at it harder? It was like, pretty exhilarating. This might be the next frontier. Yeah. yeah, it was really, I mean, I always loved being challenged. Yeah. That was my, you know, and so then, you know, <laughs> the road I take to get somewhere though is not always <laughs> it's not always the best or easiest road. Trey's competitive fires had been rekindled. As much as he loved the competition and driving himself personally to achieve at the highest level, he simply fell in love with the whole experience of an old-time bowling alley. <laughs> I mean, it was just grand. I mean, and I walked in there, and there was just all this stuff. Tell me about that, because, you know, it kind of seemed like the first couple of <laughs> lanes that you mentioned that they're not legit in your mind anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something about them that's changed that might be cosmetic or, mm -hmm. you know, when you were 15, like, what did you consider, like, a real a real bowling alley? Half the people kind of were drunk, and everybody smoked. <laughs> It was thick for the senses, huh? <laughs> it was. I mean, it was. You had to. You, I mean, you, you had to walk pretty close to see where you were going. It was I mean, there it a was roar? Just, haze. just kind of a haze yeah, and a lot of yeah, noise. And, yeah, and all kinds of shit going on. I mean, it really is. I've, I guess what I've reflected backward is it really is that I can think of besides like retail 
places like Walmart or Kmart, it's the only place that anybody can go and stay. All hours of the night. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of a free range, open Mm -hmm. place for you to go. But yeah, you were still 15 at the time. I was still 15. It I, was a tight community. Like it was everybody a, it knew was each a other. Community, a lot of like, characters. It was like the Wild West. Yeah. I mean, it really was. I mean, when you walked in there, I mean, you know, it was. Was there money everywhere? There Melrose? was money everywhere. There was guns everywhere. There was knives everywhere. I mean, and there was a bar, you know, and people would inadvertently go in and out of the bar. And it was just, I mean, it, to me, being a 15 year old kid, they went to BGA. <laughs> they hated BGA. <laughs> and hated the upper middle class white establishment. <laughs> it was like heaven. Most importantly, Trey discovered something even more alluring than statistical competition. Cold, hard cash. First, I got kicked out of junior golden. <laughs> Tell just, me more about that well, first. I, I, just, I, I went to Melrose and we bowled in a no tap tournament. And it's uh, just, this is, I'll make this quick, but it is a part of the story. And a no tap tournament is like, it's for like average bowlers and you get handicapped. So it's hand, it used to be handicapped off 200 or 180. Now it's handicapped off like 250. And so I was, I was hanging out with this guy by then. He was like 35. Kind of like low-level mafia, <laughs> something. I'm not sure, <laughs> but but he told me he said, you know, we can go down there with our averages from Franklin. He said, with our averages from Franklin, we can make seven or eight hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, that sounds good to me. And this is you're still in at fifteen, sixteen. Right, I'm still bowling in junior bowling on Saturday morning. This is Friday with night with the choir boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray Ray had a. Uh, the Dodge Challenger, and so we got in the Dodge Challenger and went down to Melrose, bowled in the tournament with the handicapped guy. I mean, we won it by hundreds of pins. <laughs> and then there was this guy that I saw across the way that I would come to know over the years. There was all these different characters. His name was John Cartwright, and he—I don't know how—if you were to like describe him literarily, I don't know who you would what character he would be like. He was certainly like an anti-hero, and he certainly did some bad sh- I mean, you know, he would like betray people and use people and stuff, but in the end, he was really good-hearted. He really was. But what he did that night is he turned around and called Franklin. <laughs> And so when I came in the next morning and tried to put on my bowling shoes, the junior coach... He smelled a ringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The junior coach, who was a mailman, on top of that, came down to me, and he was kind of... he had, His voice was a little effeminate, and I'm not trying to be bad at all. He said, you might as well just put back on your shoes. <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, I know about you and the money you won last night. <laughs> They've already called up here this morning. So that was one of the many places I've been thrown out. Renegade. Of. Yep. <laughs> but it was fine. I wasn't meant for that anyway. Well, you didn't need the juniors when you could no. make $800 well, I, in a night. I did. And bowling for a trophy or something. Yeah. God. I, that's, uh, I want more risk. Real money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no doubt it was thrilling, possibly addictive at times. 
Trey recounted late-night pot games that would run from 10 p.m. till noon the next day, rolling 30 games in an evening. With money changing hands, it could be dangerous as well. I don't care what game of chance you are in. No one likes a big winner. Except the winner, of course. So John and uh, my bowling buddy and then JR, this guy was the most throwing the conventional grip ball, and a guy named Wesley White who lived in the bowling alley on White Bridge Road because he did he was homeless. He stayed at my house some. But at, we we got in this league over at a off Lebanon Road, it's Plaza Lanes. It's in the bottom of a shopping mall. I've never been in there. All the places I've bowled in Nashville, never been in there. This is in Donaldson? Mm -hmm. John and I typically, from the very beginning, would, and that's how I met John. He said, well, is there anybody? He asked the league secretaries, is everybody in here to for money? And they said, that guy. And so we would always quickly find people to side bet with in leagues. I mean, it was just part of it. And uh, we'd been side betting with these two guys the whole summer, and, but we didn't know this bowling alley. And John knew a few of the guys. I really know anybody. And, you know, bet like $20 a game. So most you're going to lose 80 bucks in a night. Right. You know, three games in a series. It wasn't like it was like blood money or something, you know. Right. So usually on the night when the league ended, there was always, there was a payout because people, what place you come in, like you, there's always a payout at the end of the league. And so I would always try to get a pot game up just because that seemed natural to me. Mm -hmm. People had more money. <laughs> let's have a pot, you know, let's bowl. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it wasn't on the weekend, but yeah, you can make it that way, right? Because yeah. the league was over. And so, and so we got this pot game started there was three of Wesley and John who were both like six foot two, 260. John's probably six three, 300. Wesley's just, Wesley's fatter. John's big. Then we got this pot game star. I got it started. John was just hammering him. I mean, I, I really don't remember. It was less than an hour and he had to win a couple thousand dollars. And I heard this guy behind me saying something that I thought he was saying about me. And I'm, I, I, again, it's that same thing. I'm, not, I'm just not good at that. And I've learned as I've aged to let stuff go. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're just better off. And I heard it, and I knew. I'm like, if he gets in my face, or this is not going in well. You know, and he probably's a lot bigger than me. I was like five foot 10, 155 pounds. So I went down to John, and I said, this is looking bad. <laughs> I'm like, these guys are like talking shit, and it's more and more of them. And he's like, "Don't you see the way I'm bowling?" And I, had dry, I just pulled out by then because mm. I, I could, I could feel it. I knew. Right. Time to move on. Uh -huh. And he's like, "We can make a fortune." I'm like, "John, we can get ourselves killed too." <laughs> <laughs> he hand me a quarter and say, "Go play Footloose and hush." <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. It was that summer Footloose was popular. I get 84, I think. And so it played out about over another two games, and he won probably another $1,500 or something. I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was just one of those moments like Jordan. Totally, you know, I mean, totally he in the was zone. Just that, yeah. And I had pulled out because I knew, and I just already, I'm like, I need to go on outside or something. And then God, if John doesn't walk up to me after every game and hand me my half of the money. <laughs> 
in front of these guys. <laughs> You know, so, this sounds like a cowboy movie. Oh, wait, what? Well, yeah, Wild I'm like, West Saloon. I'm like, I'm like yeah. yeah, you've not heard a word I have said. These guys are going to kill me. Yeah. I mean, they. I've, I'm hearing it. You know, I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he handed me money the last time, the guy that had been the most vocal that I'd kind of been able to avoid, I, you know, I just hadn't completely heard it. It had been peripheral. He, sees, he, he said, he said, why aren't you down there? And I said, I tell you what, I'll get down there if you will. <laughs> Challenge bowl. And that was the wrong, I mean, that was me always. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say. I mean, because he knew he couldn't out-bowl me. But he was sure a hell of a lot bigger than me. <laughs> you could win that game. And after, before I ever trained my, he was the reason that I went in martial arts. Mm. This night, this particular thing, because I was just helpless. Mm. I mean, I could take care of myself. This guy was like 225, 6'3", right. muscle bound, and he got all up in my face, and he's like calling me, and I'm like, what the f*** did I do to you? You know, I should have had good sense yeah. not to, so anyway, so Wesley, the big, the heavier guy, comes up and grabs me from behind, because I had blown my ACL, and I didn't have, I didn't have an ACL, they'd just taken it out, and he's like, jerked me back. I don't know if anybody gave, grabbed the other guy. But then the manager came out, you know, and he's like, we're not going to have us in here. And his <laughs> name was Buck Johnson. He was, he was the daddy of one of the guys we had bowled for money all summer. Which we were okay with up until about this moment. Because this guy was like, totally, so I didn't even know who the guy was. Anyway, they pulled us apart and then the guy said, well, I'll just follow his ass outside. <laughs> you know, and I've had my ass with before. I mean, it's not that. I mean, he could have. He was a big guy. I was not very big. But then about one by one, within about a minute, and it, I mean, it's the only time I've ever seen it, like when that group thing kicks in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it like spread like wildfire. It was like a mob mm-hmm. action. Uh-huh. And it was like, yeah, follow him outside. We'll go with you. I mean, I'm not, and, and I'm like, oh, f- <laughs> I mean, it's just like you're in, it's like being in a house fire. I mean, you're like, what, what do I, how do I get, get out, out of here? here. Right. And John, of all pain, this is the absolute truth, and this is hard to believe, but I mean, it's true. He walked up to me and Wesley, and he, he put, he had finally realized. Danger. Yeah. And he said something to the guy that said something to me, and the guy wouldn't talk to him, of course. So he, he comes to me and Wesley, he said, okay, put your stuff in your bags. Well, my shit was already in my bag. And we all had, we accused of carried two two-ball bags at that point. And he said, and don't look scared. He said, that's the biggest thing. And he said, and then we'll walk out one by one. I'll be the last one out. And he said, we'll be fine. I promise. And so I'm like trying to get my bags and stuff picked up. And I look up and I see Wesley with his 10. John laughs about this too. I see Wesley with his two-ball bags like sprinting toward the door. <laughs> he did the opposite. Fat, jiggling everywhere. Because <laughs> he was big, but he was fat. I loved him to death. He was funny. But I mean, he was the hell out of there. You know? And then I'm like, and John said, don't worry about it. Just go. I got it. Go. And so I, you know, I'm going. I'm hearing them behind us. And there's probably 25 people by the point. And it was scary as shit. Yeah, because twenty five. I've seen in the things. early eighties. Yeah, and I and I've seen things where it would turn into multiple people. 
and shit happens quick. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and people really get like hurt or killed. You know, people, what do you think the total was you're walking out with? That, Four like or five money, grand. Probably, I, you know, I'd guess combined. I mean, I'd guess something. I don't know. It was a lot. I yeah. mean, and it was and the funny thing. It was all the money that they had won from the <laughs> bowling in the league. <laughs> You had taken it all from we them. We had. We, uh, we had taken it off their hands. Uh, but it had been John. It hadn't been me. Yeah, I he mean, got hot. Yeah, and we always split everything. I mean, it's yeah. just the way we did it. And so I went out the door, and he gave me the keys, and he just said, get in the car. And I got in the car, and Wesley, of course, was had been in the car. He already soiled himself. <laughs> and I looked back in, and John was standing at the door facing this mob. And they were just standing there, all of them. And I'm thinking, what? He's is, holding them at bay. What's transacting? Yeah, I mean, what? What's this that's happening? And uh, he came and got in the car, and we got pulled out, and then a bunch of them jumped in the car, and they, we, I think they literally jumped into the car with you. No, no, their own car. Oh, okay. And they, and, and, we, and I and we drove around, you know, like for ten minutes with them behind us. Or, but but by that point, it was not. But what he had done is that he had stood in the door, and he said something to the effect of, "You have. I mean, there's twenty and twenty-five of you guys. You got us. That's obvious. But one has to come first. <laughs> so which one's it going to be?" I love a good story, and Trey had captured my imagination with his tales. I could smell cigarette smoke and stale beer as he took me back to his haunts. Somehow, I felt Trey too had been energized by revisiting this time in his life. I marveled at just how much bowling Trey had done. As fun as the ride had been thus far, I sensed that the rest of the story had some twists and turns, and maybe some frustrations. The Bizix Podcast is a production of Bizix LLC, all rights reserved. Please join us at www.bizix.com for additional resources to make your business strong, growing, and profitable. We have it down to a science.